Well, I would say that the modern equivalent or parallel to the scene described in the gospel lesson this morning might be a press conference. Jesus didn't himself call the press conference, but the disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodians made sure that the confrontation took place in public for all to see and hear. At a modern day press conference, reporters from every different kind of newspaper and periodical gather around a politician at a set of microphones and fire questions aimed at whatever the current issues are. Hecklers in the crowd during a speech or press conference will push questions they think will embarrass the speaker. Earnest seekers after information will want clear, clean, crisp answers about where the official or candidate stands or about what the situation is. Reporters, hecklers, seekers, all seem to want an unequivocal yes or no. But politicians and others who face public questioning have developed the ability to respond to questions without answering the questions. Seldom can they afford to say that they don't wanna answer that or they don't know the answer to that or that their position on that particular issue is really quite ambiguous. So they learn to respond to questions whether without giving clear cut answers. They talk and talk until no one is sure any longer what the question was or they answer the question they want to answer not the question that was asked. It does seem that if a person is being forthright and honest, then there should be a clear unequivocal yes or no to that type of question. If a person won't do that, then there is the implication that something is being hidden. But as a lawyer cross-examining a witness well knows, and as a reporter or a heckler pressing a politician well know, Questions can be put which cannot be fairly answered with a simple yes or no. If persons are pressed to such an answer, they will say less or more than they want to say or than they ought to say to give an honest answer. Such is the case with the classic quip, answer yes or no, have you stopped beating your wife? Jesus had obviously mastered the art of dealing with the difficult question, as is evidenced in today's gospel lesson. Jesus had to cope with people who wanted to make things difficult for him with their questions. In fact, the lesson begins with the statement, then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. When we are assessing how a person deals with questions that are being pressed, it is significant to ask what the intent of the questioner is. Is the questioner really trying to get at the truth or only trying to discredit someone? In an effort to entrap Jesus, the Pharisees worked out what they perceived to be a sticky question and sent their followers to ask it. The question put in its simplest form was, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? If Jesus said a simple yes, 
he would be giving support to the Roman occupation force and the religious authorities would have proved that he was not primarily loyal to the Jewish faith. If he said a simple no, the religious authorities wouldn't have to worry about him anymore because the Roman government would be quick to react to such a rebellious word. But Jesus recognizes his questioner's malicious intent, requests a coin, asks the inquisitors a question, and then says, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. Two things, at least, are clear from Jesus's response. Jesus turns back to his inquisitors the decision concerning what belongs to the emperor and what belongs to God. And secondly, God's realm is inclusive of the emperor's realm. Jesus is not making the spiritual realm and the earthly realm two different places under two different rulers. He is not perpetuating an unrealistic separation of church and state. Jesus is saying, the decision is yours. Do your political duty as citizens and your moral duty as children of God. Now, if earthly laws were all just, if judges were all fair, and if God and the emperor were one and the same, there would be no need to make the distinction between what my moral duty as a Christian is and what my political duty as a citizen is, because these two duties would never be in conflict. But we live in an imperfect world as imperfect human beings, and conflicts and tensions in our duties do occur. Let me cite a few examples. What do we say as Christian citizens about attacking another country? Or what do we say about gun control or stem cell research or cloning? What about the role of the United Nations in our world? I could go on. You all can think of your own examples that might even be closer to home for you. But in every one of these issues, there may be tensions or even conflicts for us between our moral obligations as Christians and our political duty as citizens. Are the laws of our country always in keeping with our Christian values? No. And since sometimes those of us who are Christians don't even share the same values, we can see the complexity of the situation mounting. What can we do? How do we give appropriately to the emperor and to God? As Matthew's Jesus indicated, there are no simple answers. But I'm gonna make a four comments about rendering unto Caesar and rendering to God that might be helpful as we seek to respond to what Jesus is saying. First, Jesus surely affirmed the legitimate role of the civil state when he answered the question about paying taxes with the assertion, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's. There is strong biblical witness which affirms the proper role of the state and the responsibility as, of Christians to fulfill the obligations of loyal citizens. Thus, Paul admonishes the Romans to 
let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For us, as privileged citizens of the representative democracy in which we live, this means that we ought all to participate at least minimally in public life. We all ought to vote. We ought to know when election day comes, where the polling place is located and who is running for what. We should follow the campaigns closely enough so that we can vote with reasonable intelligence. Total apathy is a disease that responsible Christians must cast off. Our participation in the political process is a personal contribution to justice and peace in the social order. Second, while we are loyal citizens of the state, there is an even higher claim on us in the claim of God and the ways of God. There is a truth of God, and we are to seek to be responsible to that truth. There is a justice of God, and we seek to realize that justice in the world. When our country expresses something of the truth and justice of God, we rejoice and support it. When our country falls short, as every country does, we must confront what is happening and seek ways in which the truth and justice of God can be more fully embodied. Third, the right of every person to try to be faithful to God must be respected. While there are obligations of citizenship, a person lives before God and must be allowed the integrity of conscience. There are those whose faithfulness to God forbids their bearing arms. There are those whose efforts to achieve justice leads them to violate laws they believe are unjust. Such decisions are not to be made lightly or cheaply, but a person gives to God what belongs to God when the dictates of conscience are followed, even at great cost. Fourth. There is no formula which tells us how we are to give to God what is God's, but there are plenty of clues. We give to God when our efforts and energy are directed in ways which give health and wholeness to our community. We give to God when we reach out in love and caring to one another and to all our neighbors. We give to God when our resources are used to further the word and ministry in the name of Jesus Christ in the world. We give to God when we seek fervently those things which make for peace. But there are no easy answers. We still have to choose. We still have to decide. I close with a story. There once lived a wise old woman in a cave above a village. The villagers would come to her from time to time for help with a problem or to seek advice in making a decision. When asked for her wisdom, the woman never failed to respond and she became something of a legend throughout the country. One day, a group of the villagers were having an argument over just how wise the old woman was, and they decided to trap her and prove her wrong. One young villager came up with the challenge. We will go to the woman 
and I will hold a live bird covered with both my hands. I will ask the woman if the bird is alive or dead. If she says the bird is dead, I will let it fly away free, showing her that it is alive. If she says the bird is alive, I will crush the bird with my hands and show her it is dead. There is no way she can be right. The villagers agreed to the plan and went up the mountain to the cave where the old woman was sitting outside. Wise old woman, said the young villager, I am holding a bird in my hands. Is it dead or alive? The wise old woman looked at him and the rest of the villagers. And after a short silence, she smiled and said, it is in your hands. My friends, it is in our hands. In the name of God, Amen.